If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. We'll start in verses 1 through about verse 18. And we're going to look at a, a series through this Christmas season on seeing Christ through Christmas. That's our goal. That's our aim as we walk through this Christmas season, not to miss Jesus in the midst of all the flurry of good activity that we're walking through. And so you'll recognize, as you see on your outline, that we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 18, which just so happens to be the genealogy of Jesus. So with that in mind, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word as we look at the genealogy of Jesus. Now I'm about to say a bunch of names and things that are a little bit harder to pronounce. So I'm going to give a lot of grace to myself and I expect you to give me a lot of grace as I read these names. All right. So we're going to read it and you're going to follow along right there in your copy of God's word. Mark, excuse me, I'm Mark. This is Matthew. Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 18. Would you follow along? It's uh, in your pew Bible, page 681 as you're looking for it. Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 18. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salma, and Salma the father of Boaz by Rahab, And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And verse 6, and Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asphah. And Asphah, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Jeroam. And Jeroam, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos. Everybody with me? Just say amen if you're still here. All right. And Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jekaniah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jekaniah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. My kid's favorite. Can y'all say that? Zerubbabel? Everybody say that together, Zerubbabel? All right. And Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, and Abiad, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathen. And Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations of Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When Mary, his mother, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Would you teach us, sustain us, mold us into your image. Thank you for the truth of what your word teaches us. Would you be with us now as we walk through this time together and when we leave this place changed. Would the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord. You are our rock 
and our Redeemer. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Let's dive into this together. Now, I recognize that uh, as I was looking through my children's Bibles and children's Christmas story Bibles, I did not see one instance where the genealogy of Jesus was a part of. I can't see moms and dads sitting around the, the fire on Christmas morning saying, all right, kids, gather around. It's the genealogy time. Let's go, right? I didn't see that. I don't know how y'all grew up, but uh, dad didn't pop the popcorn and get everybody around, gather around, kids. It's genealogy time, right? I wouldn't, didn't see it. It wasn't located in any of the picture Bibles that we had. We didn't walk through the genealogy. It's not something that we talk about that often, but there again, in both two of the four gospel writers, in Matthew and, jo- and uh, John, or Matthew and Luke, excuse me, you see that these gospel writers spilled ink through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give the genealogy of Jesus. These have purpose in them. The gospel writers didn't say, hey, we've, we've got some leftover pages. I guess we've got some extra papyrus. Let's just put down the genealogy. Maybe it'll be helpful to somebody somewhere. No, there's a reason why Matthew and Luke purposefully put down the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew began his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus. Luke began Jesus' ministry with the genealogy of Jesus. The genealogy means something for us. It's not a glossed over part of the book of Mark and the book of Luke. It's, It's something for us. The genealogy means something. It's a family tree. Now, let me just just ask, if I were to ask you to turn over your little yellow sheet of paper and write your name at the top, how deep into your family tree do you think you could get? As if for a million dollars, if you could go down 14 generations, could anybody do that? I don't even think Ancestry.com can get you down that far, right? How far could you go? Could you get to parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, their grandparents? Could, could you make it down the list pretty far? The ancestry means something. The Jews and Gentiles, it was a place of legal rights, establishing their heritage, their inheritance, their legitimacy to different claims and their rights. But for each of us, where we've come from means something. While we had the opportunity to step into Stakely, I shared the story of why I hold on to my grandfather's Bible. Where I've come from means something to me. I never got to meet my grandfather. He died in 1984 before I was born, on a, 1983, on a Christmas party. Just dropped of a heart attack very quickly before I was born in 1987. Got a chance to meet him. But I hold on to this Bible, and it's a reminder of where I've come from. Then in the 50s, my grandfather with his family was in Miami, Florida under the pastorate of Pastor John Buell in Atlanta, in uh, Miami, Florida. And there Pastor John Buell saw in my grandfather that the the Lord had a call in his life towards ministry. And Pastor John Buell began to tell my grandfather, hey, hey Jim, you've been called to ministry. The Lord has something on your soul. The Lord has something for you in ministry. But my grandfather at the time did not feel like he was called to ministry. He had a great job. He had two young kids. He was doing everything well and right. He was in this young family there in Miami, Florida. Everything was going good and well. So my grandfather did not submit to that calling to ministry. Pastor John took a church in Atlanta, Georgia, moving him from Miami, Florida. And there he began a good pastorate and good ministry in Miami, or excuse me, in Atlanta. Sometime later, my grandfather through his job, got a change of, uh, got a job promotion and was moved to Atlanta, Georgia. This is before the time of internet or cell phones and all that kind of stuff. And there my grandfather was with his wife and three kids now. 
in 1960-ish, driving around the neighborhood of Atlanta. And wouldn't you know, by God's divine coincidence, that as they're driving around, they see the White Hills Oaks Baptist Church. And the placard underneath said, Pastor John Buell. And there they walked into that church and joined the church. And in the spring of 1965, 10 years after John Buell talked to my grandfather about the call to ministry, 10 years later, my grandfather got out of the pew and walked down an aisle, submitting his life to full-time Christian ministry. He would then leave Atlanta, move his family, his young family, to Texas to go into seminary to begin his training to be a full-time Christian minister. When I hold on to this Bible, I'm struck by God's faithfulness to our family tree. In that single moment, it changed the course of our family because John Buell was faithful over 10 years to share with my grandfather. My grandfather was faithful one spring day to walk down an aisle and say yes to his calling. Each of us have stories like that in our family tree. Stories of great faithfulness and great courage by men and women in your family to do great things for the Lord. Some of us have maybe not so great stories that maybe we would like to kind of forget or gloss over. As we look to the story of Jesus, this isn't a once upon a time, Jesus just was here. Once upon a time, this fairy tale story, just Jesus stepped onto the scene and everything, no, Jesus has come from somewhere. He's come from a history and a story and a people and a place. And so this morning, let's look at the genealogy of Jesus with a fresh lens and a fresh perspective. Let's look at number one on your outline. The genealogy of Jesus demonstrates Jesus's humanity. The genealogy of Jesus demonstrates Jesus' humanity. As I shared my story of my grandfather's Bible and where I have come from and the history that's gone into me being here today and the history of some, one man stepping out in faith and that, that went before him, the faithfulness of generations. The genealogy also demonstrates Jesus's, God's humanity. That this is not a once upon a time, but there's a definite, definable, real truth that history would speak to. That Jesus was born of Mary. Born in Bethlehem because a king had a decree that all the world should be taxed. Jesus was born of Mary in Bethlehem. See, that little boy grew up. He grew in wisdom and in stature. He grew. Now, sometimes we see pictures and Jesus is in like a a little glowing orb-like structure with a halo on his head and he looks like this little nuclear baby who's glowing all the time running around right but we know Jesus was fully God fully man he stubbed his toe running around with his buddies he got made fun of and picked on he grew in wisdom and in stature Luke 24 after Jesus resurrected he said see my hands and my feet that it is I myself touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have Jesus hungered. The shortest verse in all of scripture that I know you're hoping is part of our scripture memory for 2024. Jesus wept. He hurt. He grieved. He hurt when people around him died. He was fully man. Fully divine. Fully man. So much so that you see in 
Matthew 26, 38, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. As Jesus is going to the cross, he's sweating droplets of blood because the, the anxiousness in his soul going to the cross is real and palpable. He's sweating droplets of blood because he knows what he's about to endure. He's real and human. And while he's sweating droplets of blood, he walks out and sees his best friends who he's been with for years sleeping in the midst of them trying to encourage him. They're sleeping. Jesus was human. He understands our pain and our sorrow. He understands our grief and our worry. He gets us. He understands us. He's fully God, yet fully man. He wasn't born and then insulated and protected from the difficulties of the world. He faced them. He had hunger in his stomach, grief in his soul, sorrow dripping from his brow. Jesus was fully man. And again, we can say, Emmanuel, God with us, this is good and great, but this is the reality of what we celebrate. Jesus wept. He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. His soul became sorrowful to the point of death. This is why we come to Hebrews chapter 4, and it's with great joy and great confidence that we read Hebrews 4 for us. Hebrews 4 says, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens to us, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near. Do you see the joy of having God in human form? He doesn't look at us and say, man, can y'all not get this thing together? Hey, hey guys, come to me when you get all figured out. Say, hey, I lived among you and I did okay. What about, why can't y'all do it? No, he hurt. He understands grief. He understands hardship. When mom passed three years ago, there were many of you, brothers and sisters, who had lunch with and asked questions of, what, what was it like for you when you experienced loss? You encouraged me. You prayed for me. You told me what to expect and how it will get different and better and how you learn to grow in it. When we had kids, I set many of you dads down and said, hey, what's it like? Tell me about your experience being a dad. What's it like the first time you crank up the minivan? How do you get your pride back? Right, we talk through these things. Right, we walk through these things together because you've been there. You've walked there. You've walked in those shoes. You know what it's like. You know what it experiences like. So there's confidence walking to you saying, hey, just, just give me some insight. Give me some encouragement in these long, difficult days. How good it is to walk beside people who've been there, who've done that, who've understood what you've felt and experienced. This is why when Hebrew says, with confidence, let us draw near, because he's been tempted as every way as we have. He knows and feels the experiences that we have. He's not God on high saying, man, these humans just can't seem to get it together. Man, hunger, it must be tough. Man, pain, man, grief, it must be hard. There's a lot of people crying down there. He experienced it with us and alongside us. God in flesh, not immune from the pain, not immune from the sorrow, not immune from the hurt, but with us in it. 
in the mud and the muck and the mire right alongside of us. So with confidence, we can draw near because he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. And it would lead us to Philippians chapter 2 that says, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and by being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because of this, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He's come and he's lived among us. His genealogy testified that he didn't just show up on the scene out of nowhere. He comes from somewhere. Born of divine providence. But born of a woman. Born in a stable in Bethlehem. Born under normal circumstances, human form. Which would lead us to number two, the genealogy traces God's past faithfulness. So you look at the genealogy as we read those names. Jesus had some pretty incredible and remarkable descendants. You look and see David. You look and see Ruth and Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. These incredible men and women that one day when we make it to heaven, we'll long to go up to them and say, Abraham, what was it like? Tell me, man, what was it like? The people that we read in Hebrews chapter 12, the hall of faith, are listed in Jesus' genealogy. Incredible men and women who did incredible things for the Lord listed amongst Jesus' genealogy. But you know there's also some that are a little bit, um, maybe we don't know why they're quite included. Why, why Jesus? Why, Lord, did you use these people? In the same vein, you got David. and You even see how the Bible quantifies David. He said, David, the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. There's more to that story, is there not? You've got Tamar. You've got Rahab, the prostitute. You've also got some names that you have never heard of. Names that you can barely pronounce. Doesn't that sound like a lot of our stories in this room? you got some grandparents and great-grandparents who you are super proud of. Great things happen. And you got some that you just kind of... You know, they're, they're on the other side of the family, right? You got some you had never heard of and don't know where they've come from. But see, Jesus' lineage was not just more than people who've done great things. There's also prophecy that is foretold that Jesus would be born. Look over at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. A familiar Christmas passage that we sing about and celebrate. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we love, we love those titles. We love knowing Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the Everlasting Father, the Wonderful Counselor. We love celebrating those wonderful attributes of God. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. But how did Matthew's gospel start? The book of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David. You go over in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, and the increase of his government on the throne of David, through the lineage of David, the Savior would be born. 
What that tells me is that God was not up in heaven saying, oh, goodness, we need a Savior. Who can we pick? Who can we find somebody that would fulfill all this prophecy? Who's around? Can we find somebody? Know that God in his goodness foretelling to Abraham years and years before, demonstrating when there was a ram caught in a thicket that one day one would come that would be a better sacrifice than the ram in the thicket. One day there would be one who would come that would be better than painting the blood across the doorpost who would take away the sins of the world. That all throughout the Bible traces the lineage and the purposes of God. Even in the genealogy of Jesus using the murder and the craziness of a messed up genealogy that would point to one day a Savior coming. See the faithfulness and the constancy of our Savior. The goodness and the faithfulness of God through generations upon generations. That he's not somehow working all things together for good on some sort of last ditch effort. He's not tossing a Hail Mary to the heavens. He is fully in control. Working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In the midst of Rahab and Judah and Tamar and David. In the midst of failures and shortcomings. God is working all things together. Do I understand it precisely? No. But when I look back over the course of history and the genealogy of Jesus, as I look to my own history, is there perfection? No, but is God faithful? Yes. Every step of the way, God's faithfulness shows itself over and over and over. As you look at Isaac and Jacob, as you look at Abraham and David, as you look at the genealogy of Jesus pointing to one day, the Savior coming in the town of Bethlehem. Which would lead us to number three. The genealogy centers on Jesus. I know this is very simple, but I want us to leave us with this. In our last few moments, the genealogy leads to and centers on Jesus. Can I tell you, the gospel, everything is about Jesus. Everything. The genealogy ends with Jesus. It leads to Jesus. It's building to Jesus. The the blood over the doorpost is leading to one day Jesus coming. The ram caught in the thicket, one day leading to Jesus coming. Everything in the Old Testament is leading to one day the Savior coming to take away the sins of the world. Everything has been building to Jesus. Our, Our lives revolve around Jesus. I've titled this sermon series, Seeing Christ in Christmas. And we focus a lot of effort on the busyness of the Christmas season to make sure we keep Jesus one. In the Christmas season, we we talk about often, keep Jesus number one. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. There's a lot of busyness all around us. Don't miss Jesus. But can I lovingly say that's every day? That's January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November. That's every day. We don't miss Jesus in the midst of all the good flurry of activity happening everywhere. The genealogy is building, showing us that the trace and the lines are always flowing, always moving and pointing us to Jesus as preparing him room this Christmas season. That's every day and in every way, everything foretells, everything points to, everything leads to, everything is Jesus. He's our hope, he's our peace, he's our stay, he's our joy, he is our everything. There is no Jesus and it is Jesus. This Christmas tree that we sing about is Jesus. This church that we come to is about Jesus. Everything that we do, the gospel, point to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so don't, friends, miss Jesus this Christmas season, but don't miss Jesus on January the 1st. 
Don't miss Jesus in the middle of the year, in the middle of your week, in the middle of your day. It's as easy this time as it is any time. And we will unpack that over the coming weeks as we center our hearts and our lives on the coming King. So let me just leave you with this. The last blank on your outline is simply connect to Christ this Christmas. Connect to Christ this Christmas, but let it overflow and fuel you into a new year. Connect to Christ this Christmas, but connect to Christ every day and in every way. Let me pray for you, Lord. Thank you. Lord, thank you that we come to you today recognizing that we are not here for a once once upon a time story. We're not here to, to talk about a figment of imagination. We're not here to talk about a a story that was made up by a really good author. We're here because we know history would repeat, history would tell that you came to this earth, that you had parents, grandparents, that you were born in Bethlehem as was foretold. You grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. You hurt, you bled, you were sorrowful, you grieved. You endured the cross for my sins and the sins of the whole world. And on the third day, you rose victoriously, where you are now reigning on high, so that you are now a faithful high priest that understands the plight of this fallen world that was tempted but was without sin that understands our heartbeats, our fears, our failures, and doesn't push us away, but instead beckons us with open arms and says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and let me give you my rest. And I thank you that you donned flesh and that you dwelt here among us. There's no one like you, Lord. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.